right here, uh, and I just wanted to start this service just by reading a prayer that Billy Graham wrote, actually all the way back in 2008, but we encountered it as a staff this week, and I thought it really speaks to where we are now. So let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we stand at the beginning of this new year, we confess our need of your presence and your guidance as we face the future. In the midst of life's uncertainties in the days ahead, assure us of the certainty of your unchanging love. In the midst of life's inevitable disappointments and heartaches, help us to turn to you for the stability and comfort we need. In the midst of life's temptations and the pull of our stubborn self-will, help us to not lose our way, but to have the courage to do what is right in your sight, regardless of the cost. And in the midst of our daily preoccupations and pursuits, open our eyes to the sorrows and injustices of our hurting world. And so, our Father, we thank you for the promise and hope of this new year, and we look forward to it with the expectancy and faith. This I ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, who by his death and resurrection has given us hope for both this world and the world to come. Amen. If you could stand with us and sing, if you're at home, if you can join with us and worship together. In the middle of the night, when worry finds me, in the middle of a fight, when strength is gone, in the middle of a fire. When fear is closing in you are, you are my song. You're my hope when hope is gone. I will cast my cares on you, the Almighty. I will cast my cares on you, cause you're God of glory. God of glory. 
God of glory. God of glory, you are able through your power to be faithful. God of mercy, every moment you are near to me. I will cast my cares on you, the Almighty. chapter 11 verses 1 and 17 through 19. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By faith Abraham when God tested him offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Well, good morning. It is great to see everybody. If you are at home watching online, we are so glad that you could be with us and joining us. Uh, I am so excited to be able to worship uh, this morning with everyone, and we, I wanted to start off by sharing a few announcements. It is the first Sunday of the month, which means we are going to share in our time of communion together. So if you are here in person, uh, there are some communion packets uh, that you can pick up if you haven't already. Now's a great time to get it. And if you are at home, uh, please, uh, you can gather uh, some bread, some juice, something to get ready for when we uh, take communion together. So we are going to be doing communion this morning. Uh, a couple other things that are happening. Ladies, I hope you are getting very excited because the new women's Bible study uh, is coming up. It's starting this week. It's called Finding Hidden Treasures in the Hymns. Uh, you can sign up. There's an in-person option. There's uh, a, an online uh, option for all the ladies out there. So that's happening this week. And uh, we also have something that uh, we're doing new, and, and I'm really excited about this. It is the CCF yearbook. Now, how many of you remember those yearbooks back in high school? And you got super excited, you know, you're waiting for them, and then you're going to have your friends sign them, and it was going to be awesome. Well, we get to do that soon. So this is what we need from you. We need you to go onto the Church Breeze app, 
and update your information. And you might want to add a photo or update a photo. Um, and because this will be the photo that will be going in the church yearbook. So uh, you can do that. We'll share more information uh, as time goes along. But we're really excited uh, to have an ad. Like, we're going to have a real physical book. Do you guys remember that? Like, physical books for a directory? It's, but it's not a directory. It's a yearbook. And I want to make sure you know that. Okay? It's a yearbook. So that's happening. We're really excited about that. Uh, again, it is so good to have everyone here together worshiping, and now uh, Pastor James is going to continue to lead us in worship through music. Before we stand and continue to worship with music, I wanted to define a term that we're about to encounter. Sometimes I read through music and I practice it enough that I kind of almost forget the words, and so I was reading back through Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and in verse 2 it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word Ebenezer, I think of Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas Carol. And uh, so here I raise that really grouchy guy in the Christmas Carol. Hither by I help I come. I, I don't think that works. So what does Ebenezer mean? It's traditionally a name for, sorry, my contacts are freaking out here. Uh, a name, sorry, it comes from a Hebrew phrase that means stone of help. So in verse 2, when we encounter this, here I raise my Ebenezer, it's our stone of help, saying, God, we need your help. So again, it's not the guy from the Christmas carol, it's a stone of help. So if we can stand, we're going to use music to reflect on the fact that we need our Heavenly Father. Come thou fount of every Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song sung by flaming tongues above. Praise of mount I fix upon. Take and seal it, 
Seal it for thy coat above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy coat above. morning. Uh, I don't have to worry about bedhead, but mask beard is a real thing. I <laughs> saw Dick walk in here today. It looks like he shaved off the Santa beard and it's throwing me off. Um, at CCF, we practice open communion. So if you're a follower of Christ, please join us. Um, if you need the elements, they're over there on the table. Well, 2020 has come to an end. Can I get a Hallelujah. For months now, I've heard people longing for the end of this year. We just need to get to 2021. You know, that was the sentiment of everybody. And I haven't heard a new year met with this much anticipation since we walked into the new millennium in 2000. Everybody has been talking about this new year coming. And 2020, it took on a personality and seemingly a life of its own. Um, there was some new bizarre horror every news cycle and it's going to live in infamy for decades to come. You know, we're always going to be talking about 2020. And we're all glad to be in a new year. That got me thinking, why do we start Jan the new year on January 1st? It's 10 days past the winter solstice, six days past Christmas. And I think that would make more sense if it started, you know, maybe at the winter solstice or if it started in the spring. And so that got, I looked into it a little bit. And our new year wasn't always celebrated on January 1st. Historically, it's been celebrated on March 1st, March 25th, Easter, September 1st, even December 25th, Christmas. January 1st is kind of arbitrary. The Jewish calendar celebrates New Year in mid-September. If we're Hindus, we'd be celebrating Diwali on November 14th. The Islamic New Year was August 20th. The Chinese, they have to wait until February 12th for a new year, but this is all their fault, so they can wait a little bit longer anyway. <laughs> the bottom line is it has been a pretty crappy year, and unfortunately, no date on the calendar is going to solve our problems. Nothing has changed. The virus is still here. People will still get sick and die from a whole variety of ills and evils. The government will continue to violate our God-given rights. We are still separated from friends and family. Our kids are still stuck at home and the world seems to grow darker every day. We're all looking for hope. Our spirits long for it. God built that into us, that we would have that desire for hope. But it's not going to come from another digit at the end of our date. To find the hope we're looking for, we have to look back in our calendar, not forward. As Christians, we rightfully view year one as the center point of human history. In one night in Bethlehem, our world went from B.C to A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. That is a date that makes a difference and brings hope. Last month, Brian led us through the prologue of John's Gospel and reminded us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God Almighty took on the frail humanity. That is our hope, not vaccines or government or stimulus checks. The psalmist reminds us that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth that same eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God became a man, a tiny baby, 
on year one for our sake. Let's remember that miracle of the incarnation that brings us hope as we take communion. Remember that flesh and blood that was nailed to the cross for our sake. While they were, so if you have your elements. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. If you could stand with us. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power in Thy alone Can change the leper's spot And melt the heart of stone Jesus painted it all All to Him my own Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus painted it all, all to Him my own. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. And oh, praise the one who paid my debt. And raise this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. 
and raise us life up from the dead. Though praise the one who paid my debt and raise us life up from the dead. Though praise the one who paid my debt and raise us life up from the dead. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the well, through a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the earth. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three and one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Kingdom come and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three and one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. 
And the dead was from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of all shall not kneel and shall not faint. By His blood and in His name, in His freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory, majesty. Praise forever to the King of kings. Praise forever to the King of kings. Praise forever to the King of kings. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm reading from Genesis 22, 1 through 8. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Open your Bibles this morning. We are going to be in that passage that was just read in Genesis chapter 22. And I want to thank Michael Kevestad for reading this morning and doing a great job of that for us. I also, before we get into the passage this morning, want to recognize last week, Pastor Eric preached a fantastic message for us. And if you were here, you heard Pastor, Pastor Eric teach on uh, why worry is worthless. And certainly, as we head into a brand new year with all kinds of uncertainty, that was a very applicable message for me. And I want to thank you, Eric, for doing a great job with that. And uh, your admirable, admirable job with that. So thank you so much. Well, to, yeah. Let's give a little round of applause there. Well, today I'm beginning a new series, and the new series has a very singular title. It's called Allegiance. And um, if you uh, know a little bit about the church, a little background here, we have started a new mission a couple of years ago, and our new mission, we've heard, you've heard us say it a lot, it's making maturing disciples of Jesus. That's what we are about. 
And although we have a new focus on that, it's actually a very old mission because actually it was the mission of Jesus and it was the mission of the early church. They wanted to see people become maturing disciples of Jesus. In order to make that into very concrete terms, we developed nine traits of a maturing disciple. And if you want to see all nine of those traits, they're on our website under mission, so you can look that up at any time. But we as a church exercise one of those traits a year as an entire congregation. And this year is the year of the trait called allegiance. So let me explain to you a little bit about what allegiance means to us. I've got that on the screen here for you. And allegiance means to us, obeys and serves Jesus. So in, in its real catchphrase there, when we are demonstrating allegiance, we're demonstrating obedience and servanthood to Jesus. I might also throw in that word loyalty. We're loyal to Jesus. And we demonstrate that by, first of all, exercising faith and following Christ. In other words, you can't have allegiance unless you're exercising faith initially in Christ. We set Christ's word and desires as central to our thinking and our actions. So we are counting His words as even more important than ours or our thinking. And number three, we're denying ourselves in order to serve Christ. So again, I'm back to this idea again of loyalty. So we're demonstrating our loyalty to Christ. Now again, when I say allegiance, there's probably one thought that comes to your mind. And I'm going to guess what that is today. It's probably the pledge of allegiance, because that's when we normally use that word allegiance is around the pledge. I'm reminded of the mom who sent her three-year-old to preschool. He came home and he proudly announced, guess what, mom? We have a flag at school. It's red and white, and we talk to it. And, you know, when you think about it, the fact that there would be a pledge of allegiance in which we talk to a flag, it is a rather strange thing to have happen. And we, you know, we have to admit that, that that is kind of odd. Now, I, I, again, I don't think we probably use the word allegiance very often in our society today. But whether we use it a lot or a little, the point I want to make is, is that God uses it a lot. And the, the people that are biblical writers use that idea of allegiance a lot. And so let's go ahead and dive in today and... Uh, discern a little bit about the, the ground or the lay of the land, as it were, uh, regarding this word of allegiance. I've got three passages I want to bring to your attention today in which allegiance is something that is really talked about. One of them is Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so he's saying, I want you to know that if you want to be a follower of mine, you're going to demonstrate your allegiance by denying yourself. I'm in uh, Mark 12, 30. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. All of your being is involved in your allegiance to God. That's what He calls for, all of you, in order to be uh, in worship of Him and in submission to Him. And then finally, in Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before Me. So He's saying something to us about our allegiance. We are singular in our focus to give God our first, our first place, our first loyalty, our first sincerity of faith, which goes to God. So the next four weeks, we are going to be exploring this idea of allegiance. And I'm going to be giving you two positive examples of allegiance and two negative examples of allegiance. Two instances in which people, you know, 
passed and, and came through with flying colors. And two instances in which, well, not so much. They failed. And we're going to have a chance to learn from both positive and negative examples. And so as we get into our passage today, Genesis 22, uh, I want you to notice, first of all, verse 1. Let's go back over that again. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. I want you to say that with me. God tested Abraham. One, two, three. God tested Abraham. And so that's the very first thing that we notice about this passage today is that God is testing, as we might say, the faith of Abraham. Or God is, as I might say today, God is testing the allegiance of Abraham. And this test is always, any test, is always going to evaluate the value and the quality and the attributes of something. That's what a test does. A test kind of shakes everything down and says, what is the value or the attributes of this thing that's being tested? Uh, think about Consumer Reports. That's probably one of the premier testing agencies in the world today. And they test everything from car, car tires to hair dryers and everything in between. I've got a picture here of Consumer Reports doing a test on vacuum cleaners. And you see they've hooked it to that apparatus to run it for hours on end to find out how long it will run and what its efficiency is at being able to clean the carpet repeatedly again and again and again. And so they're testing that and they're stretching that, that uh, vacuum cleaner to its ultimate limits in order for you to know what it is you're really buying. Well, that's what a test does. A test is able to stretch something to its limits in order to find out its true quality. Whether we like it or not, the scriptures talk about God being a testing God. God tests His people in order to stretch them to their limits. And in most cases, He gives some obstacles, some things that are difficult to overcome. And He's hoping and He's, and he's testing in order to find out if there's an obedient response. That's what He's hoping to find. I know some people again today find that revolting. Or they find it primitive that God would be about testing. Isn't that like, like that's way in the past. God doesn't really do that today, right? And that would be the thought today. I ran across a quote by Walter Brueggemann, who is a famous Old Testament scholar. And he says it so well. Here's what Brueggemann says. Most complacent religion want, will want a God who provides, not a God who tests. So he says, complacent religion, it wants a God who gives things, but not a God who tests. Some in cynical modernity will regard the affirmation as silly, presuming we must answer to no one and rely upon none, for we are free and competent. But Father Abraham confessed himself not free of testing and not competent for his own provisions. And so he says we get a very different attitude when we come to Abraham, and we notice that Abraham is going to respond uh, in this instance, with, with, with uh, not questioning, but uh, uh, action. Uh, the passage today is a huge challenge for everybody who anticipates that they want a God who's reasonable, and that they can describe in every nuance, that they can catalog like a book. That's not this passage today, and that's not the God that we worship, the God of the Scriptures. What do tests reveal, and specifically, what do tests reveal about our allegiance. Testing in this passage today is going to reveal three things that I want to bring to your attention. And so let's dive into the passage today and find out what those three things are. 
The first thing that testing is going to reveal about our allegiance is it's going to reveal the source of our allegiance. You know, the whole thing starts off here with God asking Abraham to do a pretty wild thing. He says, and here it is in verse 2, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will tell you about. Can you see why this passage is not normally used in children's Sunday school? I, I mean, you know, I mean, this is kind of, this is wild. I mean, you use this too often in Sunday school and children are just left petrified because it's, again, calling a dad to sacrifice his child. And what's more stunning, perhaps, about the passage is, well, you've got a dad who complies, a dad who says, okay, let's go. And, you know, the aversion to this passage is around us not being able to completely understand why God would ask Abraham to do this. I mean, we kind of revolt at that. And what makes it an even bigger conundrum for us is that later on, past the time of Abraham, into the time of Moses when we get the law, God would give in the law and He would say, I don't want you to be like the nations, I don't want you to be like the pagans who are always sacrificing their children to gods, I don't want you to be like them. And so we know that it's not within the character of God that He would ask for such a thing, and so it's... it's it's, it's disquieting or disheartening that we would see this passage in this way, and it's difficult to identify the character of God in this way. Now, I want you to notice something right away, and I like the authors who said, or the scholars who say, this passage should be titled, The Almost Sacrifice of Isaac, because Isaac never died. And so there's some other plan that God is working here, even if we can't see it, and that's what, again, this passage is doing. Now, what would happen here in this passage and what would maybe help us understand this idea of the source of our allegiance is to perhaps understand there's something else going on here with Abraham and with Sarah. And the something else that's going on here is not, is not just the son, but what the son represents. So let's go back in the story. Let's remember here that we've got Abraham and Sarah and they're promised a son. And this son is going to be the one who carries forth their progeny and creates a great nation. But there's a problem. They can't have a son. And they go years and years and years with no son. So they say, you know, God might need a little help here. So they say, the handmaiden Hagar, if we bring her in and she has a son, that's just as good, right? Well, mistake. No, he's not just as good. That's not the son that God promised. Uh, Sarah gets into her old age when she's well past the time where she should be bearing children and she gets pregnant and they have a son and his name is Isaac and he is the son of promise. I bring all that up because he is the one who embodies the promise of God to Abraham. He's the one who embodies that uh, there's going to be a blessing and land and a nation that is going to come from Abraham just as God promised. And so he's the fulfillment of this promise. And in Abraham's mind, if that son is lost, then all of the promise is lost. All of the promise of what God is doing would be lost if this son is lost. And so God puts his finger on the thing that Abraham and Sarah might rely upon even more than him. That they might have a greater allegiance towards this son than they even do towards God. And God is the one who puts his finger on that and he does that so often. 
when there's something that is with us perhaps even more important than he himself, he is able to put his finger on that and he's able to ask the question, do you, do you want that thing even more than you want me? I, in my backyard, uh, actually next to the window in my backyard, have something that's one of my favorite things, and that one of those favorite things is a hummingbird feeder. And I've got a picture of my hummingbird feeder. It's right there by the windowsill, and so they come up where we can really see them very well. And here's a picture I took recently of, of one of the hummingbirds. Uh, next one, if you would give it to me. That's a little female, and you can see they're pretty close to us. And, you know, I've got a camera that's got a little bit of a zoom on it, but that's a little female that's feeding there. And my hummingbirds come around almost all the time of the year, and they you know, are, are pretty calm, and they know that that's going to be a good uh, food source for them, so they're around. But here's what I want to tell you about hummingbirds. Hummingbirds have no idea that I'm feeding them. Hummingbirds come to that spot, and they love that little red dish, and they know that they can always come and get food there, but they have no idea that somebody is supplying that. Now, I use that example because so many times we can love the food giver, excuse me, the food, but not the food giver, if to, you stretch the metaphor here a little bit. We can love the fact that God is giving us things or is, is promising some things even more than we love the source of it, which is God Himself. And God is saying, I'm going to test oftentimes to reveal that allegiance, to remind you I'm the source behind all those things that are being given. And that's usually the first uh, avenue of a test is for him to, to test the source and to ask if we're loving the thing more than we do God himself. All right. There's a second test revealing uh, the maturity of our allegiance, and that's number two, the maturity of our allegiance. And you're going to see that allegiance acts like a muscle. And when it's exercised, it matures and grows. And when it's not exercised, it begins to atrophy. And so Abraham gets up the next morning. He saddles up the donkey after God speaks to him. He takes two of his servants with him. Uh, he loads the wood onto the, the cart or, or the, 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 the thing that they're going to take the, to the mountain, uh, to the base of the mountain. And uh, he, he, this whole journey takes three days in its totality. And, I, and that's very important because this whole time, Abraham, with every step, is thinking about what he's getting ready to go do. And so this is not like flippant. It's not like, boom, I'm just going to do it right away. He's got to think that through with every step. And what we notice about this is that, you know, Abraham doesn't flinch. I mean, Abraham doesn't inform Sarah about this. We have no information here about that. Abraham uh, doesn't disclose any of his own feelings. Abraham doesn't really have these long heart-to-heart -heart conversations with his son. He is just set and determined. He's, he's almost emotionless as he just goes through all of this in order to get to the spot where he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's amazing that the Genesis writers tell us that, or don't tell us, all these things that would likely, we would think, be going on in the background. Testing often reveals the strength, the durability, and the maturity of our allegiance. And there's a couple little hints here about what Abraham does and how Abraham is responding. Let me give you a couple of verses that will be helpful in us saying, this is the way Abraham responded. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Do you, do you notice that last little phrase there, and come again to you. 
I mean, is this just hopeful thinking? Or is Abraham saying, well, we're both coming back to you. We're going to leave, but we're both coming back to you. And I think he's giving a little indication here. He doesn't know what's going to happen here, but God's going to work something out. Second, I want you to look at verse 7. This is Isaac talking to dad. And Isaac says, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so he's giving an exclamation of faith here. He's saying here, uh, you know, Isaac, trust. God's going to do something here, even if we don't know what it is. And this morning we had the passage read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, when the, the writer of Hebrews says, Abraham's in the hall of faith because he believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. If, if, if he were to die, God could even bring him back from the dead. Abraham passes the test with flying colors, and he shows the maturity of his allegiance by these responses that he's giving and the anticipation that even if he doesn't have it worked out, God does. You know, I have never had brain surgery, and, and likely most of you haven't had brain surgery either, but I ask you this question. Would you like to have a brain surgeon who operates for the very first time? I, I, I would not. I, I would like a brain surgeon who has done that surgery 500 times. And I want the brain surgeon who has read all of the journal articles and who's gone to all of the conferences and is just mega experienced. That, that If I ever have brain surgery, that's the one that I want. Now, you see, there's something that we're saying there is, is that brain surgery matures. You get better at that as you go over time. And, you know, it's not to say that everybody doesn't have a first time. They do. There was a brain surgeon that actually did his first surgery. But you want that to be something that is very reflexive and that's very normal. And God says, when I'm testing your allegiance, when I'm testing your faith, you know, don't be dismissed. I'm, I'm going to continue to test that because I want to repeatedly say, yes, you've got it. Yes, you're moving forward. Yes, you're, you're valuing me as even more important than anything, even more important than yourself. And so these tests keep coming in order to demonstrate our maturity of allegiance, but also to grow it. All right, there's one more thing I want you to see. The test also reveals the provision of God that supports our allegiance. In other words, God is providing resources that allow our allegiance to have a base in the first place. And so God is ultimately, when tests come, He's certainly testing us, but He's also testing our ability to recognize Him and what He's doing in the midst of that. All right, there's a couple of sections of the passage I want you to see here. Let's first of all go to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now again, God could have stopped Isaac, or excuse me, Abraham from the sacrifice of Isaac when they first got to the mountain. Said, oh, I've seen enough, and so we're good here. He could have stopped him at the point at which he built the altar. Oh, that's enough faith for me. He could have stopped him even at the point at which he laid Isaac onto the altar. But the passage says something. It says he did not stop him until Abraham lifted up the knife ready to take his son's life. This is in verse 11. Uh, and then Abraham reached out, oh, yeah, here we go. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. 
Next one. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. I've got a painting here for you. It's one of my favorite paintings of this scene. And it's painted by uh, Gerhard Wilhelm von Rettern. And uh, you, you, you maybe can see it if you're here. If you're at home, maybe I'm going to need to describe it a little bit to you. But Abraham is here. He's got the knife. He's ready to sacrifice his son. Uh, and the angel is actually pointing. In, in the painting, the angel is pointing. And she's pointing to something that you can't quite see unless you really study this painting. It's a ram that's over there in the woods or in the thicket. And he's pointing to the ram and he's saying, hey, God has provided the ram instead of your son. And so he stops Abraham from that moment and that action. I want you to notice again, the ram is this substitute. And this is one of the reasons why people from generations have all looked at this passage and said, this passage acts like a a, a foreshadow. It's, It's casting what is going to be the fulfillment of what Christ is going to do because Christ is going to come and Christ is going to be that lamb. He's going to be the lamb that is sacrificed in our place. And so people throughout generations have said, this passage is a fantastic image of who Christ is and what he really does. And that's why Abraham says, I've learned something about God in this place. I've learned that God is the provider. And the word that is the Hebrew word for that is Jehovah Yireh. And some would call it Jehovah Jireh. I mean, that's kind of the anglicized or the English way of saying that. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. And he said, I'm naming this place or I'm calling this place Jehovah Yireh because this is the place where God has demonstrated Uh, his allegiance to me, his loyalty to me. We show our faith, we show our allegiance, for God is working in ways that we cannot see, and God is calling us to have the most allegiance, the most faith, perhaps, when we don't know what he's up to. Tests reveal that our faith and our allegiance, well, they're biblical ideas. This happened to the saints of the past, this happens to us today, And you can expect that as a maturing disciple of Jesus that God will sometimes give tests. The tests reveal uh, the source of our allegiance. The tests reveal the maturity of our allegiance. And the tests ultimately reveal the one who's behind everything and the, the reliability of the one who's providing in the midst of that. I want you to remember the story today is not necessarily about Abraham who was found faithful. It was about Abraham who discovered God who was faithful. And again, he responded uh, with stunning success in this. But what he's discovering again and again is that God is the one who's faithful behind all of this. I want to give you something that's real practical today. I want to tell you about a test in my own life. And uh, the, the, the greatest test that's happened in my own life happened almost 20 years ago now. And it was the departure from my former church. And uh, to say that it was uh, hard or, or difficult would be an understatement. It, you know, it really was soul-tearing. And at that time, Denise and I were really hurt, wounded. And at that time, I think we were even wondering, should we even stay in ministry? I mean, it was that difficult. And, you know, church can be that way at times. Church is made up of human beings. And church can be a place where we have hurt. At that time, God was, I think, 
sifting that out for me, and God was saying, am I more important to you, Brian, than ministry? I know ministry means a lot to you, but but I'm more important than that. And that came home to us in very clear ways, that God was saying, I'm growing you through this time. I'm, I'm doing something in this time and through this trial that perhaps couldn't have been accomplished any other way. And that's what God does through trials. God is coming to you and me, and he's saying, is this thing that you value more important than me? This idea that you have, this object that you have, this relationship that you have, is it more important than me? I want this test. I want this test to come along to evaluate your allegiance. Spiritual tests reveal what matters to us most. And God is always pushing for one answer. And that one answer is himself. Let's pray. Lord, as we start off this brand new year, we thank you that as a church, we are looking at this idea of allegiance. And we pray, Lord, that as this idea of allegiance and our loyalty to you is explored, that you would be growing us, that you would be growing us to appreciate your grace, to appreciate your character, to appreciate your mercy evermore, and that somehow, Lord, that we would be tested even through this in order to be found faithful and in order to be grown into the very image of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that Abraham is this stellar example for us, and probably the tests that we have are not nearly as harrowing as the ones that he had. But Lord, nevertheless, we follow in his footsteps as the father of faith. We follow follow in his footsteps to say, Lord, we are subject to you, and we love you, and we want you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you could stand, let's pray this song together. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone.
begin this uh, brand new year together, I'd like for us to do something together as we uh, just open ourselves. Just uh, bow your heads, put out your hands in front of you, and let me lead us in prayer. Lord, as we start this brand new year, I offer myself to you. I want to continue to learn, Lord, of your goodness. I want to learn of your provision. And I want my allegiance this year to go deeper. My loyalty to you, my understanding of you, my response to you, I want it to go deeper. And so, Lord, use all the circumstances of this crazy life, this crazy COVID time, everything that's transpiring around the world. Use all those things in order that I might be conformed to the very image of Christ My allegiance might be actually his. My allegiance might be that of Jesus, my Savior. We give ourselves to you this morning, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. And uh, greet each other in the physical lobby or in the lobby uh, electronically. God bless you. Yeah, you